Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact, their inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support, get clear on your impact and put it into action. Enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Hannah Randall. Hannah's passion for nonprofit work began at an early age. A native North Carolinian, she has worked or volunteered for various nonprofit organizations, including ABCCM, Carolina Cross Connection, and Animal Compassion Network, among others. She now serves as the CEO for Mana Food Bank, a nonprofit based in Asheville, North Carolina, that provides over 13 million meals annually to people in need in the 16 counties in western North Carolina. Hannah spent most of her professional career in the electric utility sector, working in operations, engineering, and project management at Carolina Power and Light and Progress Energy. She later worked on policy issues and also became the youngest plant manager at Duke Energy. As a mother of two of Lila and Nolan, she wants to show her children that meaningful work brings a meaningful life and that their mother did something that filled her heart. So welcome to the podcast, Hannah. Thank you, Ursula. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so delighted to have you here. So I'm, this is a really interesting trajectory that your, your work has taken. You started out as an engineer and, uh, also have a, an MBA and, and worked in the, um, electric utility sector. And now you're, now you're the head of this very significant organization in, in this area, um, and doing some really great work. Can you talk a bit about how you made that transition and why? I, you know, I often get asked that question, Ursula, <laughs> and, um, I, I tell people it's been a long, strange ride overall. Um, but, uh, you know, I really have had a, a bit of a varied career. I, like you said, I am a native North Carolinian and, before working in the electric utility sector, um, I did previously work uh, doing nonprofit work in Western North Carolina in poverty alleviation. And um, once that bug bites you, I don't <laughs> think that you can ever fully undo it. And so I really, um, my, my career took me a different path when I, you know, really got out of college as a young engineer. But I always have uh, done nonprofit work on the side and wanted to return to it in a full-time capacity. I just never really sought it out. And um, this job at MANA was just one of those things that it was all of the right things. And even though I wasn't really looking for it, um, it really was. And, and I realized through a, a series of events in my life that I needed to be part of something that was bigger than myself. Mm. And, um, we had, we had lived in Asheville in Western North Carolina previously and really did miss it. And, um, so really it was just all of the right things to, to be able to be part of such an amazing and extraordinary organization that they would even have me 
<laughs> was amazing in and of itself. And, um, and to be back here, to be able to raise my children here in Western North Carolina, where my heart really is, um, and to be able to make an impact. Um, it, it just, it, you never do any of these kinds of things just for one reason. It, it's for a multitude of them. Mm-hmm, sure. Well, you talked about working poverty alleviation. You and I were in the Leadership Asheville program together and, and you shared, you and your colleagues at MANA shared with us a poverty simulation that was incredibly powerful. I don't know how many times I've talked about that. And you can read about it. You can you know, you talk to people about it, but even that obviously very high level kind of experience was really um, transformative for me. And, and uh, how do you, how does what you're doing at MANA tie into this issue of poverty alleviation? Yeah. um, So, well, thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm glad that you felt that way through that experience. Um, so at MANA, our mission is to involve, educate, and unite people in addressing hunger to end hunger in Western North Carolina. And so we can't do that um, if people don't understand the things that contribute to hunger. That's kind of the bottom line for us. So sure, as food banks, obviously we want to make, you know, to feed people people that are in need, but ultimately our goal is to make sure that people are fed. And so to do that, it, it really does take the whole community. And, and quite frankly, the root cause of, of hunger in Western North Carolina anyway is poverty. That's mm-hmm. the reality. And so, so many times people are experiencing a socioeconomic storm of their own. We have one generally at the macro level in Western North Carolina, but even on an individual level, where they're faced with a series of spending trade-offs. And those include, do I make my rent payment? Do I pay my car payment? Or do I pay my medical bill? Or do I feed my family? Mm-hmm. You want to take that out of the equation for people. Um, and so that's that's our mission here in Western North Carolina. Well, and in, uh, in that uh, process of trying to move out of poverty, um, I mean, what you're doing is helpful, but it's it's not a linear path. It's not a gradual incremental path. I was very much, I was made aware that it's so problematic from a logistical perspective to kind of get over this significant hump. I mean, when I think back, this makes me think of kinetic energy and physics, like the, the whole uh, kind of getting over that, that hump of how do you move from where you are in poverty into a sustaining kind of lifestyle. It's not a matter of a little bit more money or because you run into these issues of, of transportation, for example, as a huge time sucking activity that could be spent being productive. So what you're doing is, is really adding to that, helping with that process. Yeah, we want to be able to help lift people out of poverty so they don't have to make these decisions that affect their children and their family. But you're right, in Western North Carolina in particular, but really even all over the country, you know, but especially in in Western North Carolina, people um, are facing historically, you know, high housing costs, transportation, um, public transportation is not readily available, and there are lots of low-wage jobs here. And when you couple all three of those things together, it may makes it really hard to get above water for families. But even for those that are, there are so many of us 
across our country that are one or two situations away from needing assistance mm-hmm. of some of some kind. You have your breadwinner in your family that loses their job, or you have a child that has a significant illness, or you have somebody that has an accident, or you have an older relative that suddenly needs you to take care of them. Any of those things can get any middle-class family underwater. And so the safety net that is us and so many others um, is essential for uh, our community and, and for the health of the people around us and our neighbors. Yeah. What do you feel is, I mean, looking now to your clients, uh, what do you feel is the, the biggest impact that you have in what you offer? Yeah, I think the honestly, you know, obviously we do provide, you know, hand to mouth food for people. But I think the truth is that we offer people hope and dignity in a time in their lives where they don't often feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when people get into poverty, whether they've been in it for a long time or even if they're stepping into it for the first time, it can be a time that feels hopeless, that you feel like you're never going to get out of. And what we pride ourselves in is treating people with love and respect and letting them know that that we're all there for them together as a community because that's just what communities do. I love that vision, and it's uh, not one that's necessarily embraced, so I'm, I'm so much with you on that. I, I like to ask people, too, how – how do you see that impacting the larger world? I mean, you know, we can get kind of in a bit of a silo of, well, we're doing this here in this particular geographic area. What effect do you think that, that, um, treating people with love and respect and, and offering them hope and dignity, what does that, what does that do for the larger world, do you think? Or, or does it, does it not in your opinion? No, I think it definitely does. I mean, love and, um, and care it and kindness, kind of, you know, they're infectious in a good way. Mm-hmm. And we, and we need to do that together. One of the things that I've seen it do is motivate people to um, even help others in even more meaningful ways. Often when we come into contact with uh, vol- first time volunteers, first time donors and first time recipients um, of MANA, you find so, so often that not only are people paying it forward if they're receiving the services, but even those that are volunteering or giving to us for the first time ever, you find that they often either become more deeply engaged with us or with other causes, which are just as important because you get back so much more than you give. I mean, that's the reality of what we do. And so I do think it contributes to that, but also on on an even deeper level, um, if you really, if people do take the time to understand each other's stories at MANA, that translates so much more, um, so much more into the greater world about understanding the trials and tribulations that each of us undergo. And so it makes us more united and less divided. And I think that's something that's really special about MANA is that we do unite people um, from all across the political spectrum, across mm-hmm. the socioeconomic spectrum, in every single way, this is a uniting place. And I think that that's something that our community and individuals are looking for right now. That is such a great vision for an organization is to have it be a, a meeting place where people can 
transcend those barriers and, and come together. That's great. Is it important to you to, uh, I mean, I, I can tell it is, I'll, let me put it this way. I can, I can see it's important to you to have impact with the work that you're doing to make a positive difference. What, what have, what's brought you to that consideration, that consideration in your work? Is it something that you've always had? I know you were involved in nonprofits before. Did you, was it nurtured in childhood or, um, what kinds of experiences have you had that have brought you to that? Yeah, sure. We're, we're definitely all products of our experience and it wasn't one thing, but there were a few kind of pivotal things I would say in my life. And I was raised by a sociologist and a social worker. So even <laughs> though I'm an engineer by, by degree, you know, I, I was certainly raised in a household where we talked about that around the dinner table. Right. Um, but, but I did have some pivotal moments. I, I had, when I was a young teenager, I went um, to a camp in Western North Carolina called Carolina Cross Connection, um, where we repaired homes for people that were in need in Western North Carolina. And when you step into somebody's home, it does change your perspective on us versus them. Hmm. And it really does help you to understand what people are struggling with and going through. So that was sort of the initial thing that I would say opened my eyes um, to particularly to poverty alleviation in Western North Carolina. But then there were a series of other things. Um, I went to the North Carolina School of Science and Math for high school where I was exposed to people inspirational people that I never would have been exposed to from in the small town of North Carolina that I was from. And then, um, and there I met uh, my best friend, uh, Anna Williams, who was my roommate there. And we've been, we, we had been best friends for 20 years. And she came back after all of these years to be a principal in Haywood County. She used to volunteer at MANA, by the way, when we were younger, <laughs> and um, she came to be a principal in Haywood County. Um, unfortunately, Anna Anna lost her life about three years ago um, after complications after having her second child. And um, for me, I you know, I feel like I owe it to her to continue her legacy and so um, and to and to continue it in a place that she cared so deeply about. And um, so that was a big part of the motivation for me to come back to Western North Carolina, um, to be with her and her family and to, to be able to carry out what she would have wanted to see in Western North Carolina. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's such a powerful thing to have a friend who's also a role model because you get to see the what happens in the day to day and the, the things that people go through in order to have that kind of impact. So, yeah. When you think about the the work that you do and the the life that you're leading now, what do you value the most? It's something I almost always ask because I believe that impact is based on or has a foundation in the things that we hold dear, the things that we see as most important. And whether consciously or not, it informs what you do. So could you share a little bit about what what's most valuable to you? Yeah. And I, I agree with that statement that you just made. Um, by the way, it's not, and it's not one of those things I would have consciously thought about, but I would say, and I know that this seems sort of in a way cliche, but being a mother has changed me. Mm. It has really changed me. And although obviously I care deeply about 
children um, and families before, it has really deepened um, in, in a very visceral way for me. Um, the, the way that I approach and care so deeply about family and children's issues. Mm. Um, and so, and, and sometimes that that's in ways that make me overly sensitive even to things, but, you know, I can't imagine a child going home during the weekend and not having enough food. Yeah. I know. You know, I can't imagine Lila or Nolan not knowing where their next meal would come from. That just that shakes me to my core. Mm. And, and for me, it's a huge part of the motivation behind what I do. Um, and the other thing though, that I would say on a more pot and on a more positive note is I just believe that kindness breeds more kindness. And, um, and I've seen that over and over again in my life where, um, small acts of kindness motivate people, um, to, to do bigger ones. And, um, and, and I really believe in that and I really, really believe in that. And so, so for me, those are kind of the two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the way that we behave, um, it creates a kind of way in which we show up that affects people. And you think of even the smallest little kindness that someone does for you can shift your whole mood for the day. So it's really powerful. Yeah. So in, in, the work that you're doing now, you're running a pretty big organization. So yeah. what do you find is the best use of your time and energy within that within that organization? Oh, boy, does that vary from day to day? <laughs> uh, my, my role at, at MANA definitely um, has a lot of variety. And, and it's one of the things that I love about it. And one of the things I say to the board at MANA, and I meet I mean this into the staff at MANA and the volunteers is I want to be whatever MANA needs me to be. That that's what's most important to me. And um, so right now, what that means is um, I serve as a voice and a face to illuminate um, the connections between um, poverty and all kinds of things in our society from um, government programs to um, the spending trade-offs I just talked about to health and wellness and making all of those connections in a way that's meaningful for people that they can envision, you know, visualize that in their minds. That's a big part of what I do. Another part of what I do because we are, we are a very complex organization is, um, is to work on the strategy in conjunction with the board, but to really work on the strategy for MANA and to connect people at MANA because there are so many of us. I mean, we have, um, you know, a relatively small staff compared to what we do, but we have over 6,000 unique volunteers a year. Um, Not to mention all of the donors that are involved and the recipients. There are thousands of people, actually over 100,000 people, that are in some way, shape, or form connected to MANA every year. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to be that conduit for connection um, so that we all feel close to the mission and we all see the impact that we're making together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and managing an army of, uh, a small army of, of volunteers like that is no easy feat. I mean, it's it's one thing to have line authority and, and jobs resting on 
people's behavior, but it just speaks to the powerful mission of the organization that you can have so many volunteers and have it all run. Yeah. The volunteers are literally the beating heart of man. There is no doubt about it. And nothing would be accomplished. We would not exist without them. Well, um, one of the things you mentioned is um, illuminating connections. And I, uh, one of the things that, that you and I've talked about this a little bit, but um, I, I think that one of the roles of a CEO is to, well, potentially can be to help the people that work with you to have the impact that they want to have. That's right. And um, so how do you do that within your organization? I know you, you very consciously and thoughtfully uh, give thought to how you're developing people, but just in terms of their own impact, are there specific things that you like to look at? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of, you know, you can think about this in a lot of different ways. Um, so for, for the staff, we're actually really fortunate to have, and I know every organization th- thinks they do, but we really have a stellar <laughs> staff. We have a stellar staff with um, a really diverse backgrounds. And, um, but I've learned to not let the background, just someone's background be a determinant in what their future path is, mm-hmm. because no one would have thought that me as an engineer for a electric utility company (laughs) have ended up here. Um, It really is about trying to understand what is their motivation? What do they want out of their career and their life? And how can I remove barriers to help them get there? Mm -hmm. I really believe in that. And I really believe in um, helping um, ordinary people do extraordinary things Mm -hmm. because so many of us that are, and I am an ordinary person, um, have the capability to do extraordinary things. That extends, I would say, also, though, to donors and volunteers. I was actually just having a conversation today with a donor um, about, and I, I care very deeply about what is meaningful to them because this donor had asked me, how can I, you know, what can I do and my company do for MANA? And, um, and I kind of did turn it back around into a question of, how can we make it a meaningful impact for you? Hmm. Um, because it should be. Um, we, we owe them that as well. And so I talked to them about, you know, various things that we're doing and, and tried to give them some ideas about what, what, what would you want to align yourself and your organization with? Because there really is so much out there um, so that they feel a deep connection and they see that I did this. I mean, that's one of the things I love in general about MANA is that anybody that works with us, the impact that they make is not abstract. It is tangible. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly tangible, in fact. And um, it can go all the way from sorting food and distributing food on a day to um, the people that um, serve on the MANA food helpline to help connect people to things in need to people that help advocate for us and attend events. So, I mean, it really isn't one of those weird things where you don't know what you did. You absolutely know what you did that day. And that's important, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, nonprofits, there are many nonprofits. And um, so one of, uh, the, one of the benefits or outcomes of that is that people feel deeply connected to an organization when they can feel like they're making a meaningful contribution and it's visible. It's right there yeah. in front of them. So 
Yeah, yeah, we we really try to help, and it's very important to us that our donors and volunteers that we don't waste their time mm-hmm. or their talent or their treasure. You know, we're really we're really proud to say that ninety four cents of every dollar goes directly to food and food distribution. A dollar equals three and a half meals at Mana, and we make we work really hard to be great stewards of the money and the time and the resources that people give us. That's amazing. Ninety ninety four cents on the dollar. That's that's really great. Well, in terms of the, uh, you know, the mission that you have and how obviously connected you are with it and wanting to have this impact, one of the things that I, I notice kind of falls by the wayside uh, is often self care and <laughs> taking care. I saw of- you. I saw you might ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's it's when you're excited about what you're doing and you're deeply connected to it, it's sometimes you can get so drawn into it that you're not uh, that your energy isn't being managed so that you can sustain that. Is that something that you consciously try to hold? And and what kinds of things do you do to maintain that? It is, and and I'll tell you to to be perfectly honest with you, my lack of self care in the past has definitely cost me some things in my life. Hmm. And so, um, and I've tried to learn, I've had to learn the hard way on that, um, that that is important. And I really have run myself ragged on, on at several times in my life because I have a tendency to take on more than I should. Um, how, how has it cost you? Um, well, honestly, you know, it's cost me um, in my personal life. I, it cost me a marriage before. Mm. And, um, and luckily we're still very good friends today, but it did cost me that. And I learned from that. And luckily I'm married to a wonderful man now (laughs) and we have two wonderful children now. Um, but it did cost me that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, so I've learned to take time, some time for myself and my family. Um, and, uh, I don't, I will confess to you that I'm not cool enough to do yoga or <laughs> or anything like that. I'm totally not cool enough for any of that, but, but I am really fortunate to live on the side of a mountain. And for me, the, my, the mountain is my solace and it is my peace. And there, and I do take time. And I know this sounds really silly and simple, but to sit on my front porch and be with the mountain mm-hmm. and my coffee. And so, um, but I really do, I I need that to be able to look out and and feel, and it it helps me to feel close to the work that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I view Western North Carolina as sort of as my tribe, you know, (laughs) that I'm, that, you know, that, that I'm a part of and I need to contribute to. But also just even just that those times one-on-one with my kids as part of my self-care and not even, and it's something funny, but like when I'm with both of them, it's a little different than even being with each of them one sure. on one. Yeah. And there's nothing I cherish them more than being with each of them one on one. Cause then I get to really take in who they each are as a person. Cause they, you know, um, they really are little full fledged people now that they're five <laughs> and seven and with their own ideas and thoughts about the world. And um, I try to pay attention to that and not miss it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And kids can offer some extraordinary insights. I'm always blown away by things you hear from kids now. So. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and their observations. So, Oh man, they're yeah. amazing. <laughs> well, and I know what you mean about the mountains too. It, it, 
a sense of place really configures so importantly into feeling grounded and connected with yourself if it's important. And uh, I know the, the mountains around here have an energy to them that uh, I certainly feel that and I know many other people do. So um, that's great that you're so consciously taking that in. Well, I learned that uh, over time about one of the things I've learned over time in general is that if I need to make an important decision that's not obvious to me, and we've all encountered that in our lives, Mm -hmm. where we've had this big decision and it's just you don't know what to do, you don't know what to do. I have learned to sit and be still with nature wherever I am. And I will go and like sit somewhere, you know, or walk somewhere. Um, and be still with it. And eventually, and it may not be that day when I'm doing it, but eventually clarity will come. And I really believe that. And it's hard for me because I'm actually not a very, I'll admit I am not as patient a person as I would like to be. (laughs) But um, but that has been one of just the greatest gifts that I, I have learned over time is to sit with yourself and sit with the world and clarity will come to you if you will let it do its thing, you know, but it takes time to do its thing. Yeah. And that is so rare because we're, you know, in this world where there's constant alternatives to just being and being still, there's, uh, there's so many ways we can distract ourselves. So I, I find that practice really powerful too. When I, when I discipline myself to do it, yeah, <laughs> it's really valuable. It's true. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think is helpful for people to know, because, you know, we can, when we're talking about ourselves and our work and it, it sometimes seems like this kind of effortless progression from one thing to the other. But, um, in reality, we've all come across challenges and obstacles. Can you share a little bit about how a particular challenge you've faced and how you've moved through it? I always think that's inspiring for people to think about, oh, that solution might work for me. Yeah. um, So, well, one of the, I think, things in general that's been a theme in my life um, is that I've been doing things that people wouldn't necessarily expect of someone that fits my profile, I suppose. (laughs) And especially when I was, um, I'm not as young as I used to be, but when I was younger, <laughs> you're, um, you're not alone. <laughs> so, but when I was younger, you know, I didn't fit the profile of somebody that was going to be a plant manager of power plants. I did not fit that, that profile at all. Um, and, um, what I've learned is that sometimes people try to box you into what they think you should be. And, um, and sometimes you try to box yourself into what you think you should be. And, and one of the things that has served me very, very well is to have an open mind about what my path is. And to, again, it, it's kind of corresponds to the waiting for the opportunities and not knowing what comes. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I've, I've never had a clear path of this is what I want to be when I grow up. In fact, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, <laughs> but, um, it's really been about, um, one of the things that the, the North Carolina school of science and math's motto is to accept the greater challenge. That is their motto. And it, that has served me, that motivation and that sentence or phrase has served me so well in my life is to take on challenges that not, not everybody would take. 
and um, to continue to allow myself to be redefined by what comes in front of me Mm -hmm. rather than to let other people define what I should or shouldn't do with my life. That is such a great um, motto because that accept part of accept the greater challenge is about not just putting yourself in the path of opportunities, but being open to what comes to you. And you've done that in what you've chosen to do. It's, it's, uh, it's not the obvious path, but being open to it is so terrifying and liberating at the same time. <laughs> it, it is. And I sort of love that feeling. You, yeah. you kind of end up in loving the feeling that, you know, cause, and I feel that way, by the way, Ursula, every new job I've ever had, and I, you try to fake it till you make it, but I'm terrified at the beginning. I am terrified every <laughs> single time. And I just try to smile my way through it and learn, Right. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what you try to do. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it really, accept the greater challenge has been a phrase that it plays over and over in my life. And, um, and it's been wonderful that it, that it has, you know. Mm-hmm. If you had to offer advice or, or share an insight with others who are asking themselves, how can I have more impact? How can I make a difference in the world in my own way? What would you say to them? I would say, I would say start small. Sometimes I think part of the, the barrier to, um, people doing something that is quote impactful mm-hmm. is they think it's got to be this big giant thing that they can't take on right now. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, the case really, you know, you can try something small and it will lead you to the next path and the next path and the next path of whatever becomes meaningful for you. And it, you know, and, and special for you. But it doesn't have to be this, I've got to go change the world tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's just not, it's not often how it works. So try something small. See what impact you do make or how it makes you feel. And it may lead you to something bigger and or more meaningful to you. And and honestly, if we all did something little, what a world would we be living in, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, that's a powerful idea. And uh, I actually just wrote a blog post about that, about this whole changing the world thing. Is this, is this really something? Or, um, And I, I agree with you. I think that small step, that small thing we can all do, everything begins locally too. I, I think people sometimes yeah. think they have to go halfway around the world. And you can do that too, but there's also lots of opportunities right in front of you. I I completely agree with that, you know, and obviously I support people that go around the world and do missions and all of that. But the truth is there's so much right in our backyard that sometimes is even hidden from us where we can make a huge impact and we can make our money and our time go further Mm -hmm. than. And so um, for me, that's always been a big deal. Like I, you know, you know, I'm from North Carolina and it's a big part of why I'm at MANA because North Carolina matters to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I want to be a part of my community because, and, and at the end of the day, the change is not about me, right? It's about making an impact of the people that I know and love. And they're here. Mm-hmm. They're those, they're these people. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. 
Well, Hannah, you've, you've really made a huge contribution in creating this uniting place where people are treated with love and respect and they are offered hope and dignity and in some really difficult times. And, uh, I so appreciate what you've shared with us today. It's been, um, really inspiring to hear the effect that you and your colleagues and your army of volunteers is having in this, this part of the world. So thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So if, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? So it's through MANA. Um, so we have a website, www.manafoodbank.org, which is M-A-N-N-A, foodbank.org. And my email address is really creative. It's hrandall at manafoodbank.org. <laughs> so H-R-A-N-D-A-L-L at manafoodbank.org. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And thank you again. And uh, I, I really appreciate the work you're doing in the world, Hannah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you as well. And, you know, it takes all of us together to make a difference for Abs- our neighbors. Absolutely. Yeah. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.